0: All right, class. stop typing, please. Before we go on with the next exercise, I'd like to make one of my little speeches. This is your first course in preparing for an office job. You're starting a new career. It can be fun, or it can be hard. It all depends on the way you look at things, your attitude. For instance, you'll be working in an office. Well, don't forget,
1: the golden rule works there, just as it does anywhere else.
0: I'm looking here. I don't think this is a satire, this video here.
2: This is around the same time that Reefer Madness came out, I think.
0: So at some point, you needed to learn how to go to an office. Yes. This is a skill that you could get trained up on. You could become good at it. Like, I'm awesome at the office. (laughs) Step one, be nice to people. Here's what's happening in our community. In the internet business world, some businesses are just getting rid of offices altogether. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's really easy if you know, it's just you and your laptop. But a lot of companies are doing this at scale. And we're going to talk to the co-founder of one today that has 36 employees all working from home on a daily basis in a distributed fashion. So we talked to a few entrepreneurs today that are growing real teams without
2: offices. What do you think about that, boss man? You've had your concerns about it in the past. I have had my concerns about it. We had an office for a while. We do not anymore with the company that we're running. But, you know, I think it's interesting. I think that it's totally possible. And you look at these large corporations, Dan, like IBM and Microsoft and whatnot. I mean... A lot of them are distributed teams as well, right? So they'll have like a campus, which I think is an interesting concept, or at least like a city where a lot of people live, and then they'll co-coordinate across the globe as well. So
0: Yeah, like these archetypes. I don't know if that's what you call them, like, going to a cubicle or going to an office space. They're sort of new things, which is to say that they might not be that way in 50 years from now. It might be a whole other way of working.
2: And history is interesting like that, right? Like it could just be like for 75 years, humans got together in these cubicles and it was like a flash in time. It's a relatively... We're going to (laughs) be like that
0: video at the top of the show. People are going to be like, could you believe what these people were doing?
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like hunched in front of screens. They developed special chairs and standing desks because they were so attached to their work. They took stimulants so they could stare at the screen longer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's jump into it. Let's do a future episode about our home office setups and how we work on a day-to-day basis. But in this episode, let's stay focused on entrepreneurs who are building distributed teams. Specifically, How does one scale and grow while having a fully remote team? I think, you know, it's one thing to take an established business and send some of your employees to work from home and like downsize the office, but it's a whole nother thing just to start remote and to grow remote.
2: Yeah. And I think the biggest challenges here and what we're going to talk to Wade about is communication, figuring out a way to communicate with these people that may or may not be in your same location and do it as effectively as you would in person.
0: Right. So in this episode, we're going to refer to this as either a distributed team or a remote team, and something we've talked a lot about on the show. Some of the issues we'll touch on this week are how to create culture, how to keep on top of what everybody's doing so that they can feel valued and productive, and you know, so that people feel like they're part of a company, even though they're maybe sitting on their couch in their sweatpants while they're on their weekly team
2: call. Which is what I did this morning.
0: This week, we have Wade Foster, the co-founder of Zapier. It's a really interesting company, and it's a great piece of software that we use on a daily basis. We talked to Wade about how their company functions with a fully distributed workforce of 36. He's going to talk about what kind of team members are uniquely suited for remote working, the tools they use to keep in touch, and why love was the biggest motivating factor in their decision to stay fully distributed. Generally, the love story behind most great achievements. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to Wade, though, we are going to touch base with Michael Erickson, who's the paid traffic wizard behind searchscientist.com. I was actually talking to Michael a few weeks ago and hearing about how he's scaling his business with no office that inspired this episode.
3: Since day one, we've been a distributed team. And way, way back when, when I was just getting acquainted to the online world, someone told me, that you can't have a 100% distributed team. You have to have an office. And since day one, I kind of had that chip on my shoulder like, oh yeah, watch this. (laughs) So we're completely distributed. Most of our team is based in the US. And the other day, I kind of had a massive moment of clarity. I was inside our team chat. We use HipChat. And there were 10 people inside of it. (laughs) And it's crazy because just a few years ago, it was like just me Maybe talking to one other person. So, team of 10 right now.
0: I'm curious about this idea of a distributed team. What does it mean to you?
3: Distributed team means to me that people can perfectly integrate work-life balance in what works best for their productivity. So if someone wants to take their dog for an hour-long walk every day, they can. They're not necessarily tied to a specific time or location.
0: Some of the people on the show talk about how they try to overcome challenges that come with that. For example, they might meet on Monday mornings to have an all-hands-on-deck meeting, are there some things that you do to overcome that feeling of disconnect that can come about?
3: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because we had a really, really great member of the team, young guy right out of college, and he started working with us, super talented, but after a few months, he he came to me and he said, hey, I would really want to work in an office almost because I feel like I'm not meeting new people. So in order to sort of give us that social fabric, we obviously have a team chat where we can sort of talk to one another in real time. We have a private forum where we can sort of share ideas. And in terms of sort of meeting times, I've gone through so many iterations. We've had the daily meeting because at one point in time, I heard that daily meetings were the right idea. Another time we had weekly meetings because I heard weekly meetings is the way to do it, monthly and so on. What I found that works best for us is and this word is a difficult word asynchronously timed meetings where if there's any kind of announcement i will record that sort of just me talking to the camera and i'll send that out so i think a lot of times people confuse maybe meetings with memos
0: so basically what you're doing is instead of saying oh we got to talk about this you're just kind of monologuing about something important in the business and letting people consume it in their own time
3: Exactly, that gets back to that sort of perfect work-life balance. You know, what's the information that people need to do the best job possible? And you know, we built a pretty nice ecosystem. You know, we have a private wiki, a private forum, private live chat, where we can sort of assimilate and, and get new information in, in a way that doesn't need meetings.
0: Yeah. So, what do you think of this? When I was talking to Michael, he said that he wants to scale past ten employees and keep it fully distributed kind of like his attitude by the way cuz you know just because people haven't done this in the past doesn't mean it's not a good idea.
2: It's interesting. You know, I think the the meetings and memos thing is very interesting. What people like to do is they like to put something out there and then have it be kind of up for discussion, but then a lot of times that leads to a meeting. So you would say like hey, Ian, by the way, what do you think about this idea? And you kind of like open my door and say that, but I'm typing something out and so I can't really pay attention. But the interesting part about these new tools is that you can kind of like Slack and HipChat is you can kind of leave it there for people to see and to comment on kind of at their leisure. And I think that that's pretty powerful because a lot of times your best ideas aren't your initial reaction. So it's like I like to see something and then think about it and then maybe hear what other people think about it. But in a structured environment like a meeting, sometimes you don't get the same results that you do if you just left it there and let everyone discuss it at their leisure it reminds me of those monday morning
0: meetings where everybody would just kind of sit there for a few hours and like it was kind of imperceivable what had happened but you'd all been there for a few hours you know and then it kind of spills over and like into lunch like you're still kind of interrupting each other and announcing what's happening i don't have any nostalgia for that you know like, I don't need that back in my life.
2: It's interesting. And I think the other thing that's interesting about some of these social interactions, and I could be reaching here, so let me know what you think about this. But I think part of the reason some people like to work in an office is because they like to be social, but not because these are their friends necessarily that they would go to a party with or hang out with on the weekend. They're a different type of person to them, a different type of friend that they like need to get to be able to know well enough to express their ideas fully to their other co-workers, if that makes sense. So I think part of being in an office environment is feeling people out, understanding how they communicate, understanding how they respond to your ideas, and then being able to present to them in a way that they understand or that you will be well received. And so I think that is some of the benefit of having an office because a lot of those things, those social cues don't come out. Over Skype and things like that. But I think that just means that you have to be a better communicator. <laughs> and I think it's difficult, but it's a new skill. Or, you know, I mean, there is an in person element to a lot of what these companies are doing. And that's
0: part of what, when we talk to Wade, and we're going to roll that interview here shortly. A lot of what these companies are doing is they're finding a way to get the benefits that a traditional office provided. But was just a lot lower investment, you know, like why get a lease and put it furniture in there and get everybody living in the same city and then get people up on the highway and uh, have the barbecue on Friday afternoon, all that stuff. Just get rid of it and just have like a couple barbecues a year. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or retreats like Wade does. Yeah. So let's let's get to this interview. I think he's got a lot of interesting things to say about it. So Zapier is like a really, really useful piece of software. After we get off the phone in, I'm gonna upload our interview to a transcription service and you can use zapier to automatically connect dropbox to the subscription service and then it'll send it over to google docs and it'll ping slack that the transcription is done and like these are all pieces of software that wouldn't normally be able to talk to each other, but Zapier allows you to connect them. And so it allows people that aren't developers to do really clever things with the software they use. And it's just really fun. And on the DC, we see people posting like their favorite zaps all the time. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I've connected QuickBooks with this, with that, with the other thing. And I get an email whenever I get paid and all these kinds of cool things you can do with it. So it's pretty endless what you can do with Zapier.
2: Yeah, I was going to say 15 years ago, we'd all be sitting in a meeting and I'd say, hey, Dan, wouldn't it be cool if this system could talk to this system? And then we'd hire a developer for $150,000 and we'd build this little bridge. Yeah, Yeah. we get like mass 90.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have like a $35,000 software consultant pitch us on a six month sales cycle. And now we've got Zapier. Recently, Ian and I talked to the co founder, Wade Foster, about how he runs his fast growing remote team. We start off this conversation by talking with Wade about how Zapier came about. And it all began for Wade and his co-founder, Brian Helmig, at one of the tried and tested ways of getting stuff done. It's a startup weekend. There's lots of different versions of how these kinds of events can go down. But basically, you go to a room with a bunch of other entrepreneurial types, and you lock yourself in there and you challenge yourself to start a business in a weekend. And so let's start on the story there.
1: Teamed up with a buddy, Mike, and went to a startup weekend in Columbia, Missouri, and built out the initial prototype. And it went pretty well. Like we had something kind of ish that worked after the weekend. I mean, it wasn't great, right? You don't, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was, it was good enough. And so we decided to keep working on it nights and weekends, and and we did that for I guess maybe like another six months or so before we actually had a V one that we were like proud of th- to put in front of the public. Uh, we were we were letting like beta people in all along, people that had like shown a vested interest and a vested need to kind of test it out. But it, it still took us a while to get something that they were like, "All right, this is good up. We're going to turn on public sign up for this and let people in."
0: What was the date of that, Wade? Just for context.
1: Yeah. So October 2011 was when we started. That was like the very first lines of code, and then I think publicly accessible it was in May of 2012.
0: And as of today, at the end of January in 2016, Mm -hmm. how many people work at Zapier?
1: There's 36 full-time people at Zapier. Wow. And so tell me a little bit about, (laughs) wait, I think that you
2: guys were part of the YC experience. So how did that weave into the story? YC experience being Y Combinator, it's an accelerator, correct, in the Bay Area?
1: Yep, yep. They funded companies like Stripe and Reddit and Airbnb and Dropbox and tons of other ones. But those are probably some of the more well-known ones.
0: So you guys are from Missouri. I thought everybody in YC was from Stanford.
2: What
1: <laughs> That's a great question. So we actually applied like that very first October to try and get in the, I guess it would have been the winter 2011 batch maybe. And we got rejected like, just like standard rejection like you know hey most people get rejected keep trying right sort of email it's very polite but the gist is you're not good enough right truth be told they were probably right to reject us all we had was an idea at the time like we hadn't proven that we could do anything like i don't have like any fancy startups in my background i didn't have a popular website i didn't have any like experience on something that they would have heard of there's a lot of reasons for rejecting us right But then over the course of the next nine months, between October 2011 and May 2012, incidentally we joined YC the months we launched publicly we just like worked crazy hard we still had our day jobs but we were putting in like eight hours in the evenings on top of that so like i'd go to work at nine o'clock finish up at five o'clock go have dinner and then work from like 6 p.m to like 2 a.m
2: what was that day job
1: i was doing marketing automation at a online mortgage company
2: what was the draw for you guys to apply to YC was it that you needed guidance on the product was it that you needed money for the product
1: the biggest thing was we wanted better access to partners zapier works because we have so many partners and so many tech companies that are integrating with us and we were doing okay like just working off of public apis and just you know grunt work forcing our way through it but you know something that just like could kickstart us a little with partners and just kind of put a stamp of approval a little bit more on us really like helped. I think the classic example was like, we were really struggling to kind of get on Salesforce radar for a long time. And rightfully so, like they're a billion dollar company, like who cares about a tiny startup in Missouri, right? And then when we joined YC, Paul Graham, PG, sent an email and like within a day, like we were talking to the right person at Salesforce and we're working things out to make a really good integration with them.
2: You started working on this idea, you're moonlighting, you went public at the same time you join YC, Paul Graham sends you an intro to these companies is all of a sudden, is there like this hockey stick effect going on? <laughs>
1: No, not at all. (laughs) It just has been really, really gradual, like one step in front of the other for us. TechCrunch wrote about us and, you know, that sent a little bit of traffic our way. But, you know, a week later, it's kind of just back to where it was, you know, before, right? So we still just have to, like, get good at marketing, get good at finding our best customers, trying to get in front of them, building out more integrations, building out the product more, and just, you know, making it better.
2: Now, Wade, part of your Genesis story that I think I saw you do a presentation on on YouTube was that one of your partners was in love with a girl and she lived in a different location. Uh, This was kind of part of the reason why you guys are a distributed team. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So we moved out to the Bay Area for YC. They have you move out there for three months. After the three months is up, you can do whatever you want, right? It's your company, you know, make it work however is best for you, right? And Mike, who is one of my co-founders, like I said, is, was in love with the girl, right? It was his then girlfriend, now it's his wife, was in law school in Missouri, back in Missouri. So he moved back to Missouri. Brian and I stuck out in California. And so it's like, hey, you know, I'm not going to kick out a co-founder who is like freaking awesome and we can't, you know, do Zapier without him. And so we're like, let's give this remote thing a try. We hired an old college roommate of mine, Micah, to run our support team. So he's a very first hire. He was in Chicago at the time. And so we had four people in three different locations. And that was the start of Zapier being remote.
2: So it's interesting the ways that we think about this remote working arrangement. You know, Dan and I had a similar situation where we wanted to live on separate sides of the world, right? You almost build out these processes and these ideas out of necessity because that's the situation that you're thrown into. But then you start to see all these benefits. Have your ideas changed about the office? There's got to
0: be days that you're like, I just wish I could... Ring everybody's necks
2: very efficiently.
1: I don't think so. You know, there's days where I wish like I could just, you know, maybe stand up and yell and like everyone would know right away this one thing is important and we really need to make that happen right now. But that's so rare. Like it's just really rare that you have like these existential crises right? Like as a business where you're like, everything's falling apart. And if next five seconds, we don't change something fundamentally, we're going to cease to exist. Things can wait, you know, 24 hours for somebody to read an email or read a blog post that's an internal blog post that's, you know, hey, we need to tweak this a little bit, or we need to try this a little bit differently. I still just don't think that an office is absolutely necessary to run a business. I think for some people, it's a better way to run a business. And for some people, it's just a thing that's a non-issue, right? And I think that's, definitely been the case for us. I think you touched on it earlier, you know, you kind of build these systems and processes that just make you more efficient at being remote. And that's definitely been the case for us where it's forced us to be more disciplined. I think, you know, we probably act like a little bit bigger company than we really are just because we're remote. But I think in a lot of ways, that's actually like a really great thing for us because it's forced us to set Things up in a way that's gonna, you know, make Zapier better for when we're 80 people, right? Like we're already doing these things that we, you know, younger companies can kind of be a little bit lazier in a good way because they're co located, right? So they don't have to worry about that stuff because they can just stand up and yell in a room. But that just doesn't work. Like even in a co located office when you're 80 or 100 people or whatever, right? So we're already like thinking about these problems and solving these problems. So I think it's one of those things that's really helped us kind of mature as a company.
0: I'm curious, do you keep in touch with any of your YC alums and have any of them gone the office route? And are there comparisons that you can see between those that have kind of built an office in San Francisco versus those that have done it the distributed way?
1: Yeah. I mean, I stay in touch with a few of them, not like super close. I mean, we're all very busy, you know, building our own companies. I think the biggest things is like, you know, there's this huge part of like other founders and CEOs jobs that is finding office space, budgeting for office space and making sure that it's big enough, right? Like, Hey, we've got to get an office. Is it going to be big enough to last us for, you know, two years, right? Like if we're going to grow, we're going to add this much staff and overhead like we need to plan out that far in advance. So we gotta lease an office. Okay, now we're probably paying more than we would for our current size. So we gotta sublease that extra space. And then when we grow into it, we gotta be able to take it over. Like there's just this huge amount of attention and focus and money that goes into maintaining just like the a place, right? And that's just something I just don't even think about. Like I never once in the morning am just like, you know what are we going to do about rent this month? Like, you know, how, you know, Oh, we're we're too crowded around these desks right now. Like we just don't have enough space. How am I ever going to find like a new office in this insane real estate market that's San Francisco? I just don't think about that. I think about the business and I think about our people and I think about marketing and I think about retention and, and problems like that. But a space is just something that just doesn't ever come to mind.
0: So that's the real estate side. What about in terms of the talent side? How has it affected, you know, your staffing costs and the types of talent that you can attract to the company?
1: I think the types of talent is as good, if not better, because you can recruit from anywhere in the world, right? You're not limited by location. The other thing that you get that's really beneficial is you get a lot more loyalty. In San Francisco, the talent market is insane right now. There's so many companies that are getting so much investment money. So it's super competitive to hire people. then you've got people like Google and Facebook and Apple who are just throwing insane amounts of money at people. That's tough to turn down, right? Like, I mean, if Google walks in and decides you're worth $500,000, like, holy cow, right? I mean, how do you compete with that as a startup? That's tough, right? And so for us, like, we can pay, you know, really awesome wages, like high market wages in the places where people live that's not San Francisco. Allow them to live where they want to live, whether that's near friends or family, or, you know, just a really cool place that they like, they can do that if they want to travel around or maybe they don't want to travel. Maybe they just want to move. Like we've had a lot of people at Zapier that have just moved from here to there during their tenure. We don't lose them right as employees or as teammates, like they stick with us. So I think you get a lot of loyalty for remote work because you kind of set the work environment up to match how that person's lifestyle is. And so it's just a lot more convenient for them. And in return, you know, it's more convenient for you because you get a person to stick around for a long time.
2: Dan, I want to form a hypothesis here and you can agree or disagree with me and I might disagree with myself a week from now, but here it is. I think that the internet and the way that we have been working with distributed teams over the last couple of years has made me a better communicator. I think in the past, it was very easy to kind of show up to the office and have my buddy Dan that I have beers with occasionally on Fridays. And I'd say, you know, Dan, you know what I mean? Like the way we do this, you know what I mean? And you kind of look at me and say like, I kind of know what you mean because I've seen you act a fool before. So- I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to be very kind of precise with the way that you interact with people in distributed teams. And I feel like that's made me a better communicator because you don't have all the time in the world to be checking in, opening my door, asking me questions, things like that. Yeah.
0: And you actually have to have a process around your communication. And I think that that's what's fascinating is it forces you to really articulate how you communicate with each other because you're not just going to lean over the cubicle or just sit in the same room all day long. You might have to really define how you work together.
2: A process around your relationship. Distributed teams love it. Girlfriends hate it. (laughs) Let's stick with the expert here. For Zapier, they found that
0: having an actual physical blueprint is what works for them.
1: So if you go to zapier.com slash learn, there's a book that we've written that's basically – all the things we do to make remote work work at Zapier. And, and it goes into pretty in-depth as well, too, on, on kind of the nitty-gritty. I think the biggest thing, specifically, is communication. You have to make an extra effort to communicate well in a remote team. You have to you know, send that extra message. You have to write that extra small report or whatever that just kind of keeps everyone in the loop. And you really want to make sure that all that information is transparent and public within the company so that, You know, if your teammate who's living halfway across the world wakes up and you're asleep, they have access to it and they don't need you to be around to answer questions because you've already put all that stuff out there. They can go answer them for themselves. So I think that's the biggest thing that we think about is just how can you make communication really efficient in a remote team and have information be really transparent so that people just know where they need to go to get tools and it's not locked in somebody's head.
0: You know, one of the things that Ian and I have talked about is that this is sort of a new skill in our culture. In some ways, like people aren't used to communicating that way. Is there a way that you identify people who are well suited for this kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think people who are really good at like written communication do really well. It's like scheduling and stuff like that, it, they're just like small stuff that we see in like an interview process to tell if someone's going to be good, right? If they really struggle with you know time zones and like scheduling a call and you know communicating dates and times like that's gonna be it's a skill that they can learn but it's like if that's tough for them then they're gonna have a tough time at happier and our all our applications we ask candidates to write a lot like we have questions that are specific to the job and we ask them to write like a couple paragraphs explaining thought process Explaining, you know, something that they did in the past that's relevant to the role that they're taking. So we really get a feel for like how they can handle that writing aspect of it, which goes a long way because some people just really struggle with it, right? When you talk to them in person, they do maybe a, a little bit better job, but they gotta be able to put it on paper, right?
2: In terms of progress reports or performance metrics, in the United States, you know, the main performance metric that a lot of people paid attention to, whether it was a good or a bad company, was how many hours your ass is in the chair. You know from AIC. A, right, exactly. And so you know you don't have that opportunity if you have a remote workforce. And so what are some of the metrics that you guys use to evaluate team member performance?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think a lot of ways it's actually easier in remote teams to evaluate performance because you're not distracted by AIC, if you will, or you know, hey, that guy, you know I saw him in the office, he's really nice, he smiles all the time, you know, I just like him. You know, you kind of get biased when you see people all the time, and you you know, you become friends with some people and other people who who might be great. You just don't aren't as close with because who knows, right? You know, not everyone has to be best friends, right? So I think with remote, it actually cuts out all that noise and really gets straight to the signal. So you can see here's what a person worked on this week. You know, they worked on these three or four different things. Here's what the you know commits are, pull requests are in GitHub. Here's the blog post that's on the site. Here's the you know, analytics in Google Analytics that shows how it is. Here's the email tickets that you responded to customers. Like, it just cuts to the core of the work. And you can tell right away, like, as a manager, okay, that person is doing a good job. Or maybe that person had a tough week. We need to chat about, like, how can we help? That's probably the nicest thing about remote work. And, and one thing in particular that we do that I think is really good is we, we do these Friday updates where every Friday, everyone in the company, me included, puts a, an update on our internal blog that just says, here's what I did this week. And here's kind of the most important things that I'm looking forward to next week. One, I love doing it personally because it forces me to be reflective, right? It's like, hey, was I working on the right stuff this week? Did I have a good week? Am I contributing in a positive way? Like, I think that sort of reflection is is rare in the workplace and it forces me to do it. Plus, I have the, the overhead of knowing, hey, Friday's coming around the corner, I want to not have a bad Friday update. Like I don't want to be that person on the team that, you know, it's like, uh, nothing happened in here. I don't want to do that. Right. Uh,
2: Donuts in Wednesday morning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Tell us a little bit about those tools. I mean, you just mentioned a few of them. Mm -hmm. You're talking about GitHub. What are the different tools that you guys use?
1: Yeah, so Async is the internal blog that we talk about. It's kind of modeled off like Automatic has this P2 theme. So we actually used that initially, but kind of decided to adopt our own that fits us a little bit better. We call it Async. Yeah, and those Friday updates are like a big part of it. Just, you know, here's what's happening. And it also has like, you know, here's what's happening. Meeting minutes from like various, you know, project reports, you know, functional areas of the team are always like putting little status updates in async that kind of keep people glued into, you know, the bigger picture at Zapier. Slack, we're huge Slack users. That's like the pulse of the business. That's our office. So we have channels for all sorts of stuff, mostly work-related, some not work-related, just for, you know, more water-coolery type stuff. And there's a lot of banter in there just making things happen. So I think those are probably like our two primary communication tools. GitHub, there's a lot of comments and stuff specifically around, you know, pull requests and issues. You know, help scout a lot of external communication with our customers and partners happening there. Zoom.us, awesome for video conferencing. Oh my, it's so good. Like, I recommend it over any other video conferencing software out there. We can get like 30 people in a live video call and it's like top notch. Yeah. So you use that
0: for your team calls?
1: Yeah, for internal team calls. Do you have an
0: all-hands-on-deck meeting?
1: Not really. We do have like a Thursday morning all-team hangout, but it's not all everyone on the team because we have international teammates and some people are sleeping and so we try not to like do anything critical in those right it's more we use that more as a venue to like hey there's a bunch of people that work here you know we're still around things are cool sort of hang out generally what it is is someone will talk maybe do like a show and tell on a feature that was released recently maybe someone will give a lightning talk on something they're interested in we do better know a teammate sort of stuff every now and then which kind of you know, icebreaker type stuff that, you know, tell you an interesting fact about a teammate. And we always record them and post them to Async later. So if you are asleep, you can can go back and watch them and, you know, kind of get to participate as well. One
0: of the things about these distributed businesses is that you can hire from anywhere in the world you want. And so what I've noticed is that people they're starting to like find these little niches of people that really work well for them like we have a friend who like only hires people in the south philippines one that's found that like women that are growing a family but have a professional background that live not in a major US city but in the US and like well, there's these weird little things that are coming up like that older businesses could never imagine having such a profile and i'm curious if have you noticed any of those that are working for you guys
1: not really we have a lot of so western people at here maybe that's cuz the three founders are from. The Midwest, but they're not clustered around like a certain city or you know, metropolitan area or anything like are that. Are they
0: people who don't want to move to San Francisco and come oh, to yeah. traditional tech hubs?
1: Yeah, they're like happy where they're at, right? Like they, they have family there, they have friends there, they have that's where their lives are. So I think maybe that's like the biggest thing, I guess. Or maybe they like to travel a little bit more than normal. There's so many reasons why someone might want remote. Speaking
0: of remote, (laughs) I was reading your guide of how Mm -hmm. you guys have managed this. And the thing that jumped out at me was the team retreats. And Mm. for two reasons. One is like I'm curious as to how they feel like what they're all about. I've never been on one. And the second is, is I just thought of the money involved. (laughs) I thought, wow, these guys are like going to fly everybody. I'm assuming you have people in Asia and Europe. You're going to tell me how it works and what it looks like.
1: Well, the money thing we justify in that we don't have an office, right? So twice a year, we basically spend what we would spend on an office on getting everyone to a location for a week and paying for all that. So that's kind of how we justify it. We just got back from Florida actually two days ago and had 33 people – in five beach houses near each other in like Destin Florida area for i guess about a week 6 days Six full days. Well, six days with travel on both ends. That's what it was. It was Tuesday to Monday. Sourcing is the hardest thing, is like finding good spots. Like, we've kind of, we have an aversion to like going to hotels because it feels a little corporatey. We like to do houses because you kind of get to spend a little more time with each other. It's like it's isolated, so it's just the team there. There's like hangout spots where people can chill on couches and and things like that.
0: And what do you actually do for the six days? Do you guys like do development sprints or is it mostly about hanging out together or?
1: We've kind of mixed it up. This time we did a three day like hackathon mini project where a few days before the retreat, a bunch of folks we put up a, a form and said, like, hey, submit ideas to work on for the retreat. You know, we're gonna have three days, we're gonna pick off maybe five or six of these and you know, divvy up into cross functional teams and try and tackle them. So we had that form. And then, you know, first day of the retreat, like we sussed out which ones we wanted to work on and divvied into teams to tackle them. And so over the next three days, we worked on those projects and got them, you know, as close to shippable as we could. So that was like the bulk of the retreat. We also had a day carved off for like small teams so that they could just like have a chance to kind of do what we call real talk. It's like you don't always get an opportunity, like in a remote team every meeting is like has an agenda and has action items and has like next steps and all that stuff with it so you don't often get a time to just chat right like how is this really working like do we like this like you don't really get to have like kind of those more deeper philosophical questions and so we carve off a day to really try and dig into some of those problems that maybe don't have like immediate action items or immediate next steps things that you should do so we had a day kind of for that which is pretty important one thing that we have done too is we cook for each other every retreat like at night we divvy into teams and make meals for each other which is a lot of fun historically has been this last time it was kind of tough because there's just so many people now i feel like we're probably going to have to move more towards catering or, or something like that in the future but it is nice to be able to cook for each other
0: One of the things that seems like even occasionally a bigger challenge than remote working is working across time zones. Have you guys encountered that? And like, how do you deal with the time zone monster?
1: I think you just set it up to work to your favor, right? Like we've got on the marketing team, Matthew is in Bangkok and the rest of us are in the States, but it works really nice because you can write something. The other day, I, you know, maybe a month back, I wrote a blog post and I handed it off to Matthew for editing. And then when I woke up the next morning, he had it all edited And I just had to fix some stuff. There's just kind of like that shorter feedback cycle. So I think you try and set it up to work for you. You know, for support, it's great because now we have people all over the world doing customer service and our customers don't have to wait until we're awake you know, there's no office hours for Zapier. You know, if you're in Australia or if you're in Spain or if you're in, you know, Russia or wherever, you can send Zapier an email and we're going to get back to you pretty quickly.
0: Is there anything that you've learned about running a remote team that you think might surprise people running a more traditional business or that you'd like... There's probably a lot of people that are going to listen to this, Wade, that are listening to it in an office. So, like, what would you say to them? Not that what they should do, but, like, some things that you've learned about...
1: Yeah, I think the manager topic we talked on earlier, you know, managers are scared that they're like, oh, if I let my team work remote, how will I know that they're working? You know, they're like worried that they're gonna go home and watch TV and do laundry all day long. And that so I wouldn't think it's that wouldn't be what I would do, by the way.
2: <laughs> I have a much more elaborate plan. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. Okay. I don't know what that would be. <laughs> I think as a manager it's actually easier though. So like you set up these reporting mechanisms and you'll know like are they doing the work, right? There's a great podcast, managertools.com. They talk about management. One of the the episodes they have is about assigning the work and assigning the reporting. And I think in a remote team, that's like a really smart thing to do, right? You assign, someone should do this thing, but they should also, part of the task is reporting back to you that it's done and how it was done and how the results were. That sort of thing.
0: As an entrepreneur who's fulfilling the role of a manager in an office, you might find that you might not have to manage as much as you previously thought you did. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people just manage things that are right in front of them.
1: The but other do, thing that happens in remote too is that you hire smart people and because it's remote, they get a little bit more space to be creative and flexible. And so there's less tendency to micromanage, I think. It could just be my personality that I hate micromanaging. I hate telling people what to do. Let
0: me ask you a question I would try not to ask you if I was applying for a job at Zapier, which is, (laughs) how much vacation am I going to get?
1: Good question. So our vacation policy is you need to take two weeks minimum. You should probably take more than that. Most people take four to five weeks a year, generally. That's kind of where it's fallen, it seems to be. But we're going to force you to go on vacation at least twice a week because people need a break. That's basically our... Our policy. Yeah, it's kind of the golden rule a little bit too, right? Like, make sure you're not leaving your teammates in the larch because you wouldn't want them to do that to you either. So make sure if you're going to take a vacation, let them know in a little bit time in advance so that you can kind of plan logistics around that.
2: That's an interesting policy. And that's one that we've had too. Not the two weeks, actually. So we made a mistake, I think, in our business that we ran, which was we had an open vacation policy. So it was basically take as much or as little as you want. Ah, but yes. That fell short, obviously, because in a small business, you know, there's a lot of responsibility generally on single team members. So as that relates to your policy, you know, there has to be redundancy in the system. And so you have to not just hire one person for one job, right? There has to be some overlap. So how do you address that in your HR process?
1: I mean, this was really hard when we were smaller, right? Like when Micah was our only support person, Micah takes a vacation. It's like, holy cow, somebody else has to answer all the email from customers now, right?
2: And every day they grow more and more mad at Micah.
1: Yeah, so like, you know, it's a lot nicer just as the companies grow because now there's, you know, eight people on the support team. So if one of them goes on vacation, it's not a big deal, right? Like, you know, sure, seven people have to make up a few extra tickets a day to help out that person on vacation but on the whole that's not nearly as much as you know an engineer doing all the support tickets for a week because mike is gone and he's the only person to do it right so as you grow i think this kind of problem just sorts itself out a little bit right because you do get more redundancy in the system there's more you know time for people to take vacation which is just kind of one of the nice things about growing (laughs)
0: You know what I'm excited about is that it seems that there's so much to be gained here. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we started our business career in offices, Ian, and I think a lot of our mindset when we considered going remote was like, well, that's going to be pretty great for us, but it's probably going to suck for the company. You know, like it was kind of like this kind of trade off between like lifestyle for the owner of the company versus like probably you're going to sacrifice some business results for that. And I think what's inspiring about Wade's story and Michael's story is that it seems like there's a lot of benefit in this for the company itself.
2: Yeah, it seems like you don't necessarily have to sacrifice productivity is what you're talking about here. So basically, the company is going to not perform as well because productivity is going to be lower because everyone isn't together working on these problems. Turns out everyone is together working on these problems, just not the way that we're working on problems back in the 60s when we had tutorial videos showing us (laughs) how to work together. I saw a stat on the web, so take it with
0: a grain of salt, that said that 86% of people would like the opportunity to work from home. Uh, My first thought was like, who are the 14%? Like, what's up with those people? <laughs> but I also think, like, think how cool this is for just people's working lives in general. The opportunity to create your own workspace, to work on your own time. It's fabulous from that angle. And then if it can make stronger organizations and better businesses, it's just exciting to think that so many more people can get out of these boxy, fluorescent lit buildings and you know, work in a more dynamic fashion. I think it's pretty cool.
2: So Dan, if I had one takeaway, it would be don't invest in commercial real estate. (laughs) At least not the office buildings. The warehouses, those are kind of on the fringe too because Amazon is in town now. So not so hot on commercial real estate these days, I think. Just a big thanks to Michael and Wade for
0: joining us this week. By the way, Zapier just had a big launch, tons of new features. Congratulations to them. If you aren't using Zapier, check it out. It can really smooth out otherwise frustrating business processes. Next week, Bossman and I will be back to talk about amazon it just seems like every other person i meet that's making money online nowadays they're doing it on
2: amazon i heard of this guy the other day he's making eighty thousand dollars a month selling pillows
0: selling pillows everybody's selling this is crazy the stories that are happening can't shake a stick without hearing these stories so next week join us we're going to try to get to the bottom of it